It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Touchdown, Los Angeles. You are Locked On Rams, your daily Los Angeles Rams podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's happening? What's good? It's your boy Bear Motter of Rams Podcast, but this is Lockdown Rams. Tuesday edition of Lockdown Rams, and we continue with our ultimate crossover series all week. Today on Tuesday's episode, we are going to hand the mic over to Corbin Smith and Lockdown Seahawks as he runs us through what the 2019 season were like for the Seahawks, how they match up in the NFC West, and we also, later in the segment, look at some big questions for the Seahawks coming into 2020 and where they all fit in in that NFC West and, and what are some of the big causes for concern? What are they going to do with Jadavion Clowney, Pete Carroll, building around Russell Westbrook, and the surprise of DK Metcalf and what he did. So a great episode for you guys again today as we've got all four hosts here on the NFC West on one podcast all week long. It's Tuesday's edition of Lockdown Rams. Don't forget next week we have a bunch to get to. The Rams... Announced today that Wednesday will be the day that they announce all their brand new coordinators, offensive, defensive, special teams. We've hired a new running backs coach. All that will be covered next week as we get back to our regular schedule. But for this week, it's the ultimate crossover, so I'm going to pitch it over. We'll be back tomorrow as we get to the Wednesday edition, a.k.a. the third place team, a.k.a. the Rams and your boy Bear Motter. So enjoy this. We'll be back tomorrow with more ultimate crossover on the Lockdown Podcast Network. Greetings. Happy Tuesday to our listeners. Glad to have you joining on the Locked On Podcast Network, our first ever NFC West Ultimate Crossover Series. I'm Corbin Smith of Locked On Seahawks. Thrilled to be joined by Bear Motter of Locked On Rams, Brian Peacock of Locked On 49ers, and Bo Brock of Locked On Cardinals. Yesterday, we looked at the 49ers. We're finally going to go to the good team in the NFC West. We're going to talk about the Seahawks today for a show. Seattle went 11-5 and in the regular season, another playoff berth, seven playoff appearances in eight years. They get a wild card. Unfortunately, Jacob Hollister came up a few centimeters short of winning the NFC West in Week 17, another dogfight between the 49ers and the Seahawks. They bow out in the playoffs in the divisional round again, coming up short. Another year of Russell Wilson's prime goes by without getting back to at least the NFC Championship game. And Really, this year was all about Russell Wilson. Without Russell Wilson, I think this is probably a five-win team at best. He carried this football team, 31 touchdowns, just five interceptions. And then you've got that defense. We're used to saying the Seahawks' defense is dominant. Uh, any antonyms that you can throw out there for that particular word, that was the Seahawks' defense this year. They they were anything but good this season. You're just not used to seeing that. And I believe that played a big role in this team exiting in the playoffs when they did in the late season sputter, losing a bunch of games in that last month or so. So let's look back at the Seahawks season here. Obviously, Seattle gets to the playoffs again. Pete Carroll's been able to get this football there, football team there time and time again since he became the coach back in 2010. But this has become a trend the last few years. They, they have one of the best quarterbacks in football. They can't get past the first or second round of the postseason, something that they were able to do earlier in Carroll's t- uh, tenure. 
but the defense isn't as good. The offense, there's questions about the philosophy that they have. And, of course, you've also got the people out there with pitchforks that are saying it's time to move on from Pete Carroll. I don't understand that philosophy, but there are a lot of fans out there that are saying it's time for a change at the head coaching position. So for being a good team, and I'm sure Bo has some interesting comments with this, with the Cardinals having struggled in recent years, Seahawks fans, it almost seems like they're spoiled. They keep making the playoffs, and yet, oh, you didn't win the Super Bowl, so Pete Carroll has to be the fall guy. Yeah, I I can't say I feel any sympathy for you these days, but yeah, I mean, (laughs) as far as the NFC West, you know, Brian Peacock's excited about the Niners finally coming uh, and and finding their stride, going to the Super Bowl this year. The Rams, they had a Super Bowl appearance last year after a couple trying seasons, and the one steady team that's been in the playoff picture, it seems, year in, year out, at least since 2012, since Russell Wilson came in the league with Pete Carroll, that duo, they're there every year once we're talking at the end of December and early January. I mean, that's they've been the one steady constant for the division. And to add on to that, uh, you know, to speak a little frustration about the Seahawks constantly being there is as you look at this division, as we know from top to bottom, even Bo with the Cardinals, as they are starting to get some really great young talent and had a few games. And as we mentioned on the, the Monday episode, play the Niners great. Uh, this last season probably could have won one or or both those games, but the Seahawks are always there. And that's the, the one thing as you're looking at this division, as it's going to shake out and how many teams are going to be represented uh, in the playoff picture. It was close to being three this year. And I think that might be the case years running because you mentioned Seattle with Russell Wilson. He doesn't need a lot. If they finally put some pieces together, uh, they can take that next jump because he is that good um, on that Seahawks roster. So we'll see how it shakes out. But man, that is the the interesting and frustrating thing in, in the NFC West is now you got the Niners who are putting together an amazing team. You got the Arizona Cardinals are younger and getting better. The Rams have some talent. They don't have a ton of money. Uh, but then you got Russell Wilson and the Seahawks. So they're always there. They are. They're, they are always in the playoff mix and they always seem to finish it off. They haven't been able to win the division for a few years. But I mean, there's a lot of teams out there that would love to have the wild card berth that they're getting, especially when you have a dominant team like the 49ers in the division. And you were literally centimeters away from beating them for the division championship. It was that close. It was an index card difference who won that division this year. And a lot of it comes down to Russell Wilson. And it's interesting. Normally, he is a guy that is pretty soft spoken. Uh, on when he was talking to the media during his interviews and he's actually come out a couple times and he's made it very clear they there that he wants superstars added this roster and I think that's my that's my argument for the people that are anti Pete Carroll he took this team to the playoffs the last two years after they completely you know for the most part tore down that historic defense a few years ago they got rid of some offensive pieces too and there were people saying they were going to win four games in 2018 and yet two years later they won 21 regular season games the last two years. They won a playoff game against the Eagles this year on the road. They nearly pulled off a miracle comeback against the Packers in the second half because of Russell Wilson. That creates a whole other argument. Well, why didn't they play better in the first half? But that's beside the point. I think this is the offseason. They can really close the gap, and that's the scary thing. They've made the playoffs the last two years. They've got eight draft picks. They've got over $50 million in cap space at their disposal. They can add pieces to this roster and potentially have a team that can contend with the 49ers next year with more pieces across the board. Yeah, I think I just saw uh, somebody post on Twitter about the 49ers that we mentioned on yesterday's show. They have that first-round draft pick and no picks in the second, third, or fourth rounds right now. And in those first four rounds, the Seahawks have, what, six draft picks, right? 
Yeah, six picks in the first four rounds. They've got three picks in the first two. And John Schneider is going to probably try to turn at least one of those into extra picks because he is a magician on draft weekend. They had four picks last year, ended up turning it into 11 new players. So he's a magician. If he's able to do something like that and they're able to actually hit on their picks, especially if they could hit on a first rounder, which they haven't done in years, (laughs) if they could actually bring in a marquee talent with a first round pick, then this is a team that's won a bunch of games last two years that could be much better next year and have much better depth. That was the biggest issue this season was the lack of depth. And once they had all the injuries hit late in the year, that was really a big part of them sputtering down the stretch. The sound defense and the sound schemes that the the Seahawks were able to play with that lack of depth, because it was key. Those 49ers games, you saw the talent. like they don't have the talent at all that they've had in years past, but they're, they stuck in every single game and they were in it when it came down to it. And they, they made enough plays and uh, that's been what's been, and and we've already talked about it here, but that's the thing that you got to tip your cap to Pete Carroll because losing all that talent, still being as good, like you said, an index card away from winning the division and being the one seed in the NFC. And that was huge for the 49ers to only have to, you know, play those two games to get into the Super Bowl. That can't be overstated how important that is to play at home, have one less game for, your football team in the playoffs and you got to tip your cap to Pete Carroll as much crap as he gets for being a little bit archaic with the way he wants to run things. You can't say that it doesn't work. No, you can't. Uh, The results speak for themselves. Now, obviously you're going to have your, your counter arguments out there. Well, they're not winning enough games in the playoffs because that style is holding them back. But I get more as the lack of overall talent and they just need to get some more talented players at certain positions, get another receiver to go with DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett, get a couple more pieces on defense so that that group, you're not going to replicate the defense they had five or six years ago that was so dominant. They're not going to be able to get a new Legion of Boom, but you can bring in some players that can make that unit respectable. If that's a top 10 defense with Russell Wilson orchestrating the offense on the other side, and that team probably wins 14 games this last season because they had several games they came up just short, and they were in a lot of one-score games. They could have won those games much more easily if the team was better, and yet they still found a way to get it done. And so there's some frustration from fans, but you know, aside from the fact they can't beat the Arizona Cardinals at home, <laughs> I, I think that they don't really have anything to complain about. This team is consistently in the playoffs, and Pete Carroll and Russell Wilson get them there. After a quick break, We're going to look at the biggest questions the Seahawks must address this offseason. We're going to have some debates and maybe some uh, jabs thrown at each other here a little bit. You're listening to the Ultimate Crossover Series on the Locked On Podcast Network. The Suns rise in Orlando, but their playoff hopes set in the West. From our local experts to your ears, these are the biggest stories on the Locked On Podcast Network. Despite finishing a perfect 8-0 in the NBA bubble, the Phoenix Suns are leaving without a playoff berth. Check out Locked On Suns today for a postmortem on an amazing run by Devin Booker and company. That's all thanks to tiebreakers and a Karis LeVert jumper that rimmed out, giving the Portland Trailblazers a win and a meeting with the Memphis Grizzlies in a play-in series for the Western Conference 8th seed. That begins on Saturday. Beginning today, all of the Locked On NBA playoff teams will be previewing the playoffs with special crossover shows. Scout your team and your opponent on the Locked On Podcast Network. Local experts on the biggest stories, it's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. 
This is Vinny Iyer, host of Locked On Fancy Football with your Locked On Fancy Football Edge of the Day. Tight end is a prime position for finding fancy football sleeper value in 2020. After George Kittle and Travis Kelsey go off the board early, don't worry. You can wait and still get some great return for a starter at the position. The two prime targets both have HH for initials, the Chargers Hunter Henry and the Falcons Hayden Hurst. A healthy Henry can have a monster downfield receiving season for new QB Tyrod Taylor and carries high TD upside. As for Hurst, he's stepping right into the productive spot vacated by Austin Hooper in Atlanta as key support to Matt Ryan, Julio Jones, and Calvin Ridley. Trust in Henry a little earlier and Hurst a little later to give you some pleasing tight end one results. Get the edge in your fantasy football league every day by listening to Locked On Fantasy Football on your preferred podcast provider. Welcome back to the NFC West Ultimate Crossover Series here on the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm Corbin Smith of Locked On Seahawks. Joining me for today's show, Bear Motter of Locked On Rams, Brian Peacock, Locked On 49ers, Bo Brock of Locked On Cardinals. Now looking forward to the 2020 season, much like the 49ers and pretty much every team in this division, the Seahawks have some really key free agents that they have to consider bringing back, the biggest one being Jadevian Clowney, and that creates a whole debate by itself. How impactful is Clowney really on the field? 49ers fans would say this guy is lethal. He's a game record. You look at the stats, only three sacks this last season, but constantly getting double teamed, a dynamic force off the edge. I feel like it's critical for them to re-sign him. They do have the cap space that the Rams and 49ers don't have. The Seahawks and Cardinals with the two are the two teams with the most cap space to work with. To me, the biggest question revolves around Clowney and where in the heck does that pass rush come from? Because to me, that was the biggest weakness for this 11-win Seahawks team. They were 28th in sacks. They were near the bottom of the league in pressure percentage. And for the rest of you guys, you're probably excited about that, except for Jimmy Garoppolo. He was the only quarterback that the Seahawks could get to. Jared Goff gets to sit back in a recliner every time the Seahawks play the Rams. There's never any pressure on him whatsoever. And Kyler Murray was running all over the place. Heck, Brett Hundley had a great game against the Seahawks because they couldn't rush the passer in that game. And so for this team to really take that next step forward, to me, it's all about being able to get to the quarterback on the other side. I'm glad you brought up Clowney because I think most of us are, you know, have something to say about it or agree with you as far as that probably is where the Seahawks have to start on figuring out how they build this game plan. You talked about uh, how well they do in the draft and collecting picks and you expect that to, you know, find some talent that way as well. Uh, but it is interesting. And the way I look at it, kind of reverting back to the Rams, is we saw Dante Fowler, uh, much like Clowney. And I, I can't exactly remember what week Clowney came over to you guys in that trade. But uh, we picked up Dante Fowler midway through the season. I think it was week 10 or something like that. And people around here weren't too ecstatic on his production right away. But then he was given that offseason. And he had one of his best seasons in the NFL this past season. And I'm just curious if that would be the same type of thing with Clowney. Because you mentioned they didn't get great pressure on the quarterback this season as a unit, uh, especially as Clowney, a guy that is going into this big free agency uh, where he's wanting to play, one, with a championship roster type of team, and then two, where he's looking probably for some big bucks. So I'm curious, one, if his play last year maybe gets a little bit of a discount, and if he believes the Seahawks are a championship team, and then will an offseason with the coaches, with the group, playing after you know the rest of that season this last year with them, if you will see that big step and what you expect from him. So those 
are my questions with Clowney. And I think if, the, if you're the Seahawks, yes, you need to make sure you get this guy because he's kind of looked at as one of those pass rushing freaks if he can put it all together and stay healthy. So those are my concerns with the Seahawks and how they approach Clowney. Uh, but I'm curious to see what it's like over an offseason, getting this guy to be with this team for more than just, you know, the the half a season that he did with, with the Seahawks. So those are my, you know, concerns and questions with Clowney. But I'm sure there's going to be a lot of teams out there that have a lot more money that maybe they're throwing Clowney's way. But he does want to play with the contender. So that's something to keep in mind. That's the that's the big thing here. Clowney has made it clear that he wants to sign it with a contender. Maybe that makes him a little bit cheaper. But if he hits free agency on March 18th, teams are going to be throwing bags of money at him. And that has not been the Seahawks style with pass rushers. You just look at Frank Clark a year ago. Instead of giving him a long-term extension, they ended up trading him. Now, the circumstances are a little bit different this time around. They have a bunch of draft picks. They only had four last year. That impacted their decision to make that trade, but they just didn't have enough help for him last year. He came in the week before week one. So he had one week to get ready for a regular season game. Then he was battling a sports hernia, sports core injury late in the season. Still had one and a half sacks in the playoffs. I think it's a no brainer that you've got to get him re-signed. The problem is if it exceeds 21, 22 million a year, suddenly that makes what looks like plentiful cap space dry up quickly. And I think they have to add at least one more pass rusher this offseason, whether that means they go and they end up stealing somebody like Fowler from the Rams, who they may not be able to afford to bring back, or a Robert Quinn type. I don't see any way financially that they can get Yannick Ngakwe or even Matt Judon, who I think are going to be the two highest paid edge guys in free agency if they even hit free agency those two teams the Ravens and Jaguars likely to pull out the franchise tag and try to protect those guys to keep them around because they're younger players that are impactful pass rushers can also defend the run you keep those guys if you can but I think the pass rush certainly is a huge issue for this football team but that was not the only problem there are questions in the secondary there are questions with their third receiver there are questions on the offensive line that's a chronic question every single year and when you're in a division like this especially with the talent like the 49ers have in their defensive line if you can't protect Russell Wilson that really puts you at a disadvantage I actually want to say something here about that pass rush because it's so important. And I saw that with the 49ers in 2019. If you have a defense without an outside pass rush, it's going to be a non-functional defense. And that was the biggest thing that I think helped that defense become a defense that was just trying to figure out what they were doing and had so many lapses. Uh, I mean, they, they played better in the back end. I think Joe Woods helped as a defensive backs coach. But having that pass rush, they added the best two pass rushes they could last offseason in Nick Bosa and D Ford. And if I'm looking at the Seahawks and they lose someone like Jadavian Clowney, and I completely understand why they brought him in because that is so important. If you can't get pressure on the opposing team's quarterback, your defense is going to be non-functional and Clowney. I know has been up and down and some people question his drive and what really motivates him, but man, seeing him take over and I, Joe Staley was coming back as his first game back from an injury, so I don't think he had his legs underneath him, but Clowney dominated that matchup and was really a big reason why the Seahawks were able to beat the 49ers. So if Clowney leaves the Seahawks, I think 49ers fans would be completely fine with that. I think Joe Staley would be completely fine with that. <laughs> and when you mentioned that Clowney wants to sign with a contender, 
that makes me think he wants to sign with the 49ers anyway, right? <laughs> oh, Jesus. Man, if you want to talk about what would completely ruin the Seahawks fan or fans offseason if Clowney ended up going to the 49ers with what they already have. I mean, if they traded Eric Armstead up from, I think the Seahawks would probably try to sign Armstead then. So it would ultimately just be a free agency trade. It would be kind of like what the Seahawks and Cardinals did with offensive linemen last year <laughs> when Mikey Potty and J.R. Sweezy ended up being traded in free agency and Arizona took Sweezy off our hands. We took you Potty and somehow he actually played in 15 games in the regular season. Then his injuries returned for the playoffs just in time for games that we absolutely needed his run blocking. But um, it, it ultimately, uh, I would suspect that priority number one is going to be clowny and then after that the priority two has got to be can we find another pass rusher and that's going to be the big issue they have to deal with and maybe they can find somebody that can play well against the arizona cardinals because they don't have anybody bo that seems to play well especially at century link field when the cardinals come to town yeah even russell wilson the guy that comes to arizona and seems to have a field day since he came into the league from wisconsin so many years ago but for some reason the cardinals they have the seahawks number up there at the link it's a curse it is it's just one of those things that you just can't that you it's there's no logic behind it. They just go up and they seem to play him tight. Even when Steve Wilkes was the Cardinals coach for a cup of coffee, the Cardinals and Josh Rosen, they <laughs> played him tight at the end of the year last year in 2018. It's just one of those things. One, I just want to give my thoughts on Clowney because I think I disagree with, with Brian and yourself, Corbin, where I, I would love to see the Seahawks tie up and break the bank on a guy like Clowney. I mean, he's just one of those guys that you, you've been waiting for him to pop and then He's had nine and a half sacks as a career high in his, since being drafted number one out of South Carolina. Nick Bosa already had nine sacks in his rookie campaign. He absolutely needs a complimentary piece across from him to really be effective. I know he does things beyond the stat sheet, but still, I would love to see the Seahawks, who obviously have a lot of other holes on their roster, tie up some big-time funds from another NFC West team on the outside looking in in the Clowney. You could make an argument that the Seahawks maybe would be better off if if Ngakwe hits free agency. Again, I don't know what the Jaguars' plans are with using the franchise tag there, but if Ngakwe hits free agency, might be a couple million cheaper per year than signing Clowney, and then maybe you could sign somebody like Robert Quinn or Fowler or maybe Vic Beasley. You could bring in two guys that are pure edge guys that can really get after the quarterback. They do have a number of base defensive ends, Quentin Jefferson's a free agent, too. They could bring him back much cheaper. LJ Collier, they're hoping that he actually exists in year two <laughs> after only making three tackles as a rookie. You don't see first-round picks do that very often. It was a very disappointing year for him. Rasheem Green led the team with four sacks. So, again, uh, this team could not rush the passer to save their dang lives. So that's going to be priority number one. We're going to continue this conversation going into our third segment here. Maybe some predictions, looking at how the Seahawks are going to finish in the NFC West. A little bit of a roundtable discussion and debate about the Seahawks and the NFC West. You're listening to the Ultimate Crossover Series here on the Locked On Podcast Network. back it's the nfc west ultimate crossover series here on the locked on podcast network we've got a ton of time until training camp opens guys it's very early there's still free agency the draft post-draft free agency i call that the post-comp pick free agency when teams don't 
risk a comp pick for losing or signing a player OTAs. There's a whole bunch of stuff coming up before training camp, but it's never too early to discuss predictions for where a team fits into the NFC West. And I believe the Seahawks are maybe one of the more polarizing teams to try to predict going into this season because there are so many holes that need to be filled. Even though they've got a ton of cap space, they've got a lot of draft picks. This is a team that won a lot of very close football games that if they were on the wrong side of the coin, they might have gone 5-11 and 11 this year instead of 11-5. and five. So I don't know necessarily this is a team that necessarily as positioned right now is built to be a top flight Super Bowl contender. If they add some pieces, they certainly could be with Russell Wilson. But it also feels like with Bo, the Cardinals coming on here, maybe the Seahawks are the team they could pass by if they don't execute this offseason. Yeah, I mean, I don't think any of the teams in the division can really sit comfortably. I mean, the, the Cardinals, absolutely. I mean, a lot has to go right. Steve Keim, who held his position as general manager uh, after another five-win season, the three-win season before that. He's got to make the right decisions this offseason to really catch up. But, I mean, it's possible. We have seen we saw four-win four team go to the Super Bowl this past year. Uh, it, it's certainly possible to go to worst to first or really get into playoff contention, especially with a quarterback like Kyler Murray. But I got to ask you, I mean, when when we've seen the Seahawks, when they really truly did struggle with the loss against the Cardinals, when they lost to the Rams, I mean, those were two teams that they were ahead of in the division coming off of three pretty impressive wins off playoff teams before that. Um, I, I see the frustration there, and it, it seemed to be where they were able to bottle up the run game and slow down Russell Wilson, and I didn't think that was possible to do either or. But what was the it, this this offense sometimes had inconsistent performances? What was the main reason for that? Well, I think that one argument that can be made is that they are too conservative in the first half. I, I think that that is something that Pete Carroll has in his philosophy that is problematic for this football team. When you've got a quarterback of Russell Wilson's skill set that can throw the football all over the field, it can still run the ball fairly well, mixing in some read option and stuff. He's not as fast as he used to be, but is still a threat running the football. It feels like early in games when he's able to get a couple plays where he extends the play with his legs or he takes off on a scramble, it seems like it gets him into the game. And yet you don't see that as a focal point in the game plan much of the time. And they get into these modes where they want to go run, run, pass. They weren't as bad about that this year, but the predictability, the conservative nature of the offense at times is a problem in the first half. But I think when you look at the numbers, this was still one of the best offenses in football this year. The real problem late in the season was simply injuries. And and I know the 49ers had injuries. I know the Rams had every team had their injuries they were dealing with. The 49ers, we talked about the luck aspect. They got some key players back in time for the postseason. The Seahawks were the exact opposite. Week 16, that Cardinals game, Chris Carson goes down with a cracked hip. They lose C.J. Procise to a broken arm. I mean, it was a matter of time. He played more than five plays. He was due for an injury. So they lost both those running backs. Rashad Penny was out with a torn ACL in week 14. A bunch of offensive linemen get hurt. Clowney and Quandre Diggs are playing at well below 100% when they get to the playoffs. And that's part of the luck aspect. So I look at the offense side of the ball. That was the biggest problem late in the season. Not necessarily the play calling or the conservative nature. They were playing with a bunch of backup offensive linemen. Marshawn Lynch came off his couch and was trying to run the football. He looked okay, had four touchdowns, but he's 
33 years old. It was not the same as having Chris Carson and company out there. So the 49ers, Brian, they were able to get key guys back. The Seahawks, on the other hand, they were just trying to piece together a running back group and an offensive line for the playoff hunt. Yeah, that was it would have been a great story with the the feast mode. But um, it, it was, yeah, it was just they they just didn't quite have enough there. And it, it's really hard to overcome those things. The 49ers kind of had those injuries at the right time where they got themselves back healthy and had an extra week into the playoffs to be healthy. And uh, you guys were talking there a little bit about the Russell Wilson stuff and Pete Carroll and opening things up a bit. And I, I bet Seahawks fans were like about time hearing Russell Wilson say last week that he thinks they should open things up a little bit on offense. I mean, that said, Pete Carroll has been able to keep things going with his style and his brand of football so um maybe not but when you think open things up with the seattle seahawks offense uh dk metcalf is the guy i want to hear about corbin because he was a guy i loved coming into the draft and i know it looks like at least after one year maybe too early but it looks like maybe the seahawks whiffed on their first round draft pick in lj collier but uh, they got a first round value in DK Metcalf at the end of the second round. Brilliant move moving up to grab him at the end of the second round. DK Metcalf is a monster. Has he been able to overcome that terrible three cone time from the combine last year? Yeah, I think that he put all of those critics uh, to rest a little bit with his performance out there. And he didn't need to have a blazing three cone time when he might be considered a one trick pony, which I don't think he is. Uh, a lot of people were calling him that saying he can just run go routes. You can blame Ole Miss's coaching staff. They had like two routes they had him run, but he is a much more versatile player than that. And he proved his value as the season wore on. Just ask the Eagles corners trying to defend against him in that playoff game, him stiff arming, throwing guys off and running his four, three time out there. It's just a matchup nightmare. So it's crazy because the Seahawks have had so much trouble finding a bigger receiver for Russell Wilson uh, before DK Metcalf came Maybe the most notable guy was Chris Matthews, and the only game he ever did anything was the Super Bowl against the Patriots. They, they just could not find a bigger-bodied receiver that was going to be a consistent threat for him. They have finally checked that off with Metcalf, who, as long as he can stay healthy and he continues to improve, I, I think that the sky is truly the limit for this kid. You put him with Tyler Lockett, I still believe adding one more weapon to that offense would really help that passing game take off because you already have matchup issues trying to defend Metcalf. Lockett is so quick and he's such a great route runner. You had one more dynamic receiver from a really deep receiver class this year in the NFL draft. Then they have a chance to take another step forward and maybe be one of the two or three best passing games in the NFL. If Pete Carroll and company allow it to be, that is always the million dollar question here. Now, Looking towards this 2020 season, bringing, um, bringing a bear back into this discussion a little bit, I want to mention this. We looked at the offensive side of the football. I want to talk defense real quick to close this out because, to me, your team is the perfect one to close out the discussion with because Pete Carroll has been such a great defensive coach over the years. But for whatever reason, Sean McVay just seems to have his number. And he showed it again, even when the Rams were not playing great in the second half of the season. Down there in the Coliseum, they just were running. They were throwing all over the Seahawks in that game. And to me, that really was the game that set the tone for the Seahawks to stumble down the down the road. They just didn't recover well from that game. They barely hung on, hung on against the Panthers the next week. For whatever reason, the Rams just seem to have their number. 
Well, that's going to be the interesting thing because last couple of years, that's been Wade Phillips game planning against the Seahawks. And now we have new defensive coordinator in Brandon Staley. And that leads to the question of Sean McVay having more to say on the defense side, or will he pull from some of those things that worked over the past couple of years? And those games have been really good. If you look across the division and we heard it here already on this week about some of those matchups in the NFC West, that they just go at each other and there's always going to be a really good game. But I'm just as interested as you are in this defense as we get to the 2020 season because with the switch, we don't really know what we're getting with Brandon Staley yet. Yes, linebackers coach out of Denver, kind of coming off that Vic Bangio tree if you want to plant one in the ground already for him at this point. But you're right, these games, and even going back to that Seattle game in your house where the Rams missed that field goal at the very end, both these games were great. So Corbin, that question is a good one. It even remains interesting, even on our end. We got the players. We know that Aaron Donald up front. We've got to figure out what we're going to do with Corey Littleton, trying to bring him back at that middle linebacker position. But Jalen Ramsey is excited about being around for a long time in that secondary. And then a couple really young guys, actually one of them out of the Pacific Northwest and Taylor Rapp. And then John Johnson coming back from that injury. So the players are there how will they be coached and what is the game plan going to look like? Those are the things we'll have to wait and see. But hopefully these games continue to be good. And as far as the Rams, the game plan should stay the same. You got to slow down Russell Wilson. You got to slow down that ground game and hope when it comes to the fourth quarter, two minutes left to go. It's not Russell with the ball in his hands because we all know that's when things start to get really dangerous. Yep, it's all about the minimal marginal uh, margin of error that all these teams have with how loaded that this division is, and it's just getting better going into the 2020 season. The Seahawks, that was a microcosm of their season. All the one-score uh, one games they managed to win, you can't count on doing that every year. So improving that roster so that they can avoid that and maybe win games more convincingly in 2020, that's going to be a big key. Limiting the opponent scoring-wise a little bit will help with that as well. It's going to be a very interesting, decisive offseason for the Seahawks as they try to stay near the top of the NFC West. We're going to continue our series tomorrow, the ultimate crossover. We're going to switch to Brad Motter of the Rams. We're going to be covering the Rams, trying to bounce back from a disappointing season. Had the Super Bowl hangover this year. We're not able to get back to the playoffs. Looking forward to breaking down where the Rams stand going into 2020. Hey, Locked On listeners, you already love our network of NFL shows, so why go anywhere else for the fantasy football information you need to know for the 2020 season? You just need to check out Locked On Fantasy Football, hosted by me, Vinny Iyer. We're counting down to the season by breaking down players and teams every day. It's no-nonsense, straight-to-the-point, smart fantasy football analysis that has only two goals in mind, helping you dominate your drafts and win your league championship. That's Locked On Fantasy Football, only on the Locked On Network.